when Rebe- when Becca told me that she was going, she had this job. I said, you know, I'll come down sometime. I'll go, I'll come up sometime, and do a talk for free. And you don't have to pay the airfare because I'll go visit the family while I'm here. So we finally made that happen. So I'm thrilled to be here. Um, you know what? This the title of this talk is listening deeply in prayer and relationships. And um, you know who was the very best at listening was Mary. You know, I'm thinking about especially the Annunciation when the angel came. But, but, you know, in order to have that moment, she had a lifetime of listening. And you know who pointed this out is especially Luke. Um, in, in, his, in three times in, in the second chapter, he talks about Mary and he it reveals to us one of her characteristics. So, for instance, that when, after Jesus is born, the shepherds are in the field, the angels come, and then the shepherds all come to see Jesus and Joseph and Mary. And Luke says, and Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then when they bring, her to the t- to bring him to the temple, Simeon is there. And he's been promised that he, by the Holy Spirit that he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. And after he says what he says to them, Luke says, the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And you know, when you're amazed about something, you think about it a lot. It stays with you. You, you kind of, you wonder about it. And then finally, at the end of the, um, that chapter is when he's 12 years old. And they come back to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. And, and then they're walking three days later, they realize he's not with them. Now, I've watched parents. I'm not a parent, but I've watched them. When you're in the store and they, and they can't find their child, the first, here's how it usually goes. John, it's very calm. They're just calling out, where, where, wanting to know where he is. About a few seconds later, John, now it's angry, because why aren't you listening to me? But the third one, after about half a minute, is panic already. So can you imagine? I mean, we take it for granted, because we know the end of the story. We know where they found him. He was fine. He was in the temple the whole time. But they must have been out of their minds. I mean, they, you know, they both get these dreams that they've got this special, they're specially chosen by God to be the parents on earth of the, of the, of the, of the Messiah, and they lost him. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I'd be sweating bullets. <laughs> I goofed this up. So, and even in that one, after they, they reunite, and, and, and Mary asks him, well, why, why did you do this to us? And he says, well, I had to be in my father's house. And then Luke says, and his mother, mother kept all these things in her heart. So she was one, and I think it's because she had a lifetime of listening deeply that she even recognized the angel. I mean, we see pictures of the angel with those wings on and everything. There's no description in, in the gospel about what the angel looked like. So you could have, maybe a person could have missed the angel if you weren't really listening. And the same thing happens to us in our lives. So let's, as we talk about Mary, as we talk about listening deeply, let's begin by praying the prayer that we all have been taught when we were young. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
So I heard years ago there was a, a survey taken of 1595 year olds. I like the idea already. Um, and they asked them this question. If you could live your life over again, what would you do different? I'll tell you the top three answers in reverse order. The, top, the third highest answer was, if, if I could live my life over again, I would have done more things that would live beyond me. You know, like helping out of school or, I don't know, teaching young people. Because what, what they're doing is going to live, or like maybe build a building. Uh, just something that would keep going after they're, done, after they're gone. Some people want to write a song. And they want that one song that's going to hit the top 50 in the charts. And that, you know, we still sing about the Beatles and they're passing away now. There's something that they did beyond. The number two answer was, if I could live my life over again, I would have risked more. Now that might not seem a lot to you in your particular place in life because, well, maybe you're taking some risks now. But as people go on, sometimes they don't take the risks. They take the safe way. They're afraid to take the risk. And they, when they look back, they said, I should have done it. I should have taken those risks. But the number one answer, and the reason I bring up the survey is, they said, if I could live my life over again, I would have reflected on life more as I went away, as when I went along. So in other words, and this, we're, we're all part of this, aren't we? You go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and, and you don't, we just go from thing to thing, and we don't really think about what's happening. We don't stop to say, wow, I wonder how, how, how things are going. You know how I, I know this is true? Because people will ask me, how are you? Now, you know, the easy answer is I'm doing fine. But if they really say, I had one priest where I worked, he used to say, so how are you? Well, that's a different kind of question. And I would have to think about how I am. So if I have to think about how I am, then I'm not really reflecting a lot. Because why isn't it right there? I have to think now and stop. Now I'm reflecting. Or when sometimes you ask people, um, I did this, I'm going to put her on the spot. I'm with Rebecca on the way back from Midway Airport, and I say, so give me some of the highlights of your life. And she said, oh, there's nothing going on. And I'm like, really? <laughs> but that's how we usually answer, because we don't, we don't think a lot. So they said they would have reflected more. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, I want to tell you a story. It's, kind of, it's not a religious story, but I like the story. It's got a great point at the end. Larry Walters is a, a, a truck driver. He's in California. This happened in the 1980s. You can look it up online later. And he, he's sitting in the backyard in his a lawn chair. And um, he really would love to fly. But he doesn't have enough money to take the lessons. And um, he didn't like the idea of hang gliding. I don't know if you ever heard of that. In California, you jump off the cliff with a kite on your back. He didn't like that idea. <laughs> so he comes up with this idea. And I'm thinking this had to be after a couple beers. He, he comes up with this idea that he's going to buy weather balloons and tie them to his lawn chair. So let me show you how that would be. You can, this is how it is. These weather balloons are, are white, and they're like way big, and they're, they're filled with helium. So he's got, he's got them in clusters. So he's got them tied to the front, the bottom, the front, the back, the top, and the bottom, and at different levels. So he's going to go up. He wants to go up maybe a, few, a couple hundred feet float around the neighborhood and he'll be flying. And um, so he takes with him, this is the 80s, so it was a CB radio. Do any of you know what a CB radio is? Ca cars and trucks used to have them. It's for cell phones. 
and they went on a, I don't know what was it, a shortwave, radio, a shortwave band or something. So he takes a CB radio up with him. He takes some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and crank it. He's And then he takes a 22 millimeter rifle. See, that's how he's going to get down. He's going to shoot the balloons when he's up there a while. So he goes up. He doesn't just go up a few hundred feet. He goes up 11,000 feet right into the approach corridor of Los Angeles International Airport. So there's, in the, in the newspaper article, after he got down, there's an airplane that goes by him, and the guy radios to the tower, and he says, I just passed a guy in a lawn chair. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he finally gets down, he gets arrested immediately, because he broke all these laws. And uh, the reporters are asking him questions, they say, Larry, why did you do it? And he said, well, you just can't sit around in the backyard all tight day. <laughs> and then they said, were you afraid? And he said, yes, wonderfully so. In other words, yeah, it must, he must have been frightened out of by 11,000 feet. But you know what? When he, when he got back down, he said, what a view, though. What a view. Can you imagine him being in a, in a chair? <laughs> I, 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 if you have fear of heights, you don't want to imagine that. Um, so, you know what, the I, I, reason I bring that story up is because when you think of, when we talk about listening deeply in, our, in my prayer, in my relationships, this is family, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, it can be a little scary thinking about that, cause especially with God. I don't know if I want to listen deeply. What, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? So it can be scary. But all those who have done it will tell you what of you what a view. You know, when you get a little glimpse of heaven, and maybe, I bet you if we had enough conversations one-on-one, -on -one, probably all of us here have had some little glimpse of heaven. Some spot where you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't have that. You wouldn't be here. Somehow, some way, you felt something goes beyond. And once we get that taste, we want more. You know, Mother Teresa is still in all of her chapels. You know, there's the tabernacle the crucifix and right by the crucifix she has the words on the wall they paint them on I thirst and those words of Jesus became her words she wanted to she would say this I want to fill his thirst for souls by helping them come to him and she was thirsty for him and for helping his thirst be quenched so now it's got, I got to stop here right here and say that some people, the objection here is, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if I hear God. I had a friend of mine, well, she was a parishioner. This is years ago, and I've changed the name. Um, I really like her a lot, but she's from the Northeast, different from us from the Midwest. And, you know, the Northeasterners have this very direct way of talking. So she comes up to me one day, and she said, hey, what's this about God talking to people? He ain't talking to me. You know, what are, they, what are they talking about when they say God's talking to them? I said, whoa, man. And I said, let's sit down and we'll talk. And so we started talking about all the ways that God talks to us. You know, through the scriptures, through the people, through the music, through creation. You know, it was really neat to watch her. She was like she was in a desert when she first came to talk to me. But when six months went by, and I didn't, it was just she was just starting to think about ways that God may be talking to her, and she was missing them all along. It was like it was raining cats and dogs by six months. I saw her really 
open up into this relationship. She was really now listening deeply. So here are some of the ways that when people say they don't hear God, you might be able sometimes to, this, help, this helps your friends. I think one big one is when we really have very strong emotions. If I'm very angry or very sad, um, C.S. Lewis, you remember, you remember him? You ever heard of him? Uh, Narnia, you remember the movies? And he was, an, he was an atheist, an agnostic at best. And he got the gift of faith. And I think of the last century, he's one of our clearest thinkers. He's a great one to use with people who say they don't believe in God. A little book called Mere Christianity. He knows how to talk to them because he's logical. And, and, you know, he just puts it down, one, two, three. And not that you can just get all the way to the end by that, but he makes the reasonableness of it very clear. Well, he got married late in life. They actually made a movie about that part of his life called Shadowlands. Anthony Hopkins was, played him, and uh, Deborah Winger, I think, played his wife. He married an American. Her name was Joy. They only lived a few years together because they got married late in life, and she got bone cancer. And when she died, he had a crisis of faith. And, he, and his little journal is published. It's called The Grief Observed. It's only a few, like 60, 70 pages in a book. And he writes in this journal about, where are you, God? I'm in my biggest need here. Why did you take her away? And why aren't you here? Why can't I feel you? And then he keeps writing, though. And as the weeks go on, goes into months, eventually he starts to feel the presence of God. And he makes this big insight. He realizes, and he writes in the book, you were there all along. But I was so angry. I was so upset and sad. I couldn't feel anything but what I was feeling. It was, even, it was a wall so deep, even God wasn't going to like break it down. Because God never treats us that way. He was waiting. Healing him. And when that healing started to happen more, then he could feel the presence there. So that's one way I think when people say they can't or not hearing God... It could be very strong emotions. The another one is a lack of self-esteem. One time I went into a, a confirmation class, ninth graders, and I said to them, what do you think, I was about two, oh, 22 years ordained at the time, what do you think is the hardest thing for people to believe about God? Now the obvious one is what? Whether he exists or not. That was the first answer that came out. But there was one young woman who said, I think... The hardest thing to believe about God. I know he loves the world. But does he love me? Does he know what's going on in my life? And I said, you know what? From my experience as a priest, that is the hardest thing for people to believe. And if my self-esteem said God would never want to talk to me, or he's not gonna, he doesn't have time for me, he doesn't care about me, then every way that God's trying to communicate with me, I'm going to, miss, I'm going to reinterpret as something else. Because it can't be God, because he would never talk to me. You see what I'm saying? It's just that when I have that, if I have a low self-esteem, I would never think he would, so I miss all the times he does. The third one I'm going to mention, this is an exhaustive list, but it's not. But um, the other one is if my image of God is, like if I believe that God made the universe all the scientific rules in it and then he's up there 
and we're down here. And we'll meet him one day when we get to heaven. Well, then I'm never going to interpret anything that happens as God talking to me because I've already in my mind said he doesn't do that. So that could be another way that, that kind of deafens us to the God trying to talk to us. So, you know what? Um, what I want to share with you tonight, this is the bulk, this is the meat of it here. And, this, and I got this from the uh, o- o- Omaha, Nebraska, the Institute of Priestly Formation. This is something they share with seminarians. But it's not there. I mean, they put the words on it. It's, it's, it's about humanity. And it's very much a classic Catholic spirituality. So it's got an a acronym. A-R-R-R. Now I'm going to tell you what, you, what, all, those, what all those letters mean. Now from me in St. Petersburg, we have a big pirate festival every year in February. <laughs> so when we see A-R-R-R, we think, oh, pirate spirituality. R, you know. <laughs> No one else gets that joke, but <laughs> we all get it down there. So here's what the, the, letters, the letters mean. A is for aware. The first R is relate. Then receive. And then finally respond. Aware, relate, receive, respond. What I want to do in the next couple few minutes is just take each one, describe and then give you an illustration. So becoming aware. Now I use the uh, story from Emmaus to illustrate this. You know, after the, Jesus has died on the cross, Easter Sunday, there's the two disciples walking on the road. And they're walking, and they're talking about what's happened. They thought, they were convinced he was the Messiah. And their idea was that he would rise up, unite the people, and they would be able to throw these Romans out. And Israel would be a great nation again. And he dies on a cross. So then Jesus walks up behind them. So the first thing, in terms of being aware, they were thinking about all the things that they've been a part of. How they first met him. How they, they thought he was the one. Watching or, or hearing about the, the, the horrible crucifixions, the worst uh, punishment. The Roman, if you're a Roman citizen, you can't be crucified. It was just too undignified. So that's, what's being, that's what being aware is. So, you know, when I'm praying, do, am I aware of what's happening in my life when I go to pray? That's, those, that's like those things I was telling, sharing with you before. When somebody asks you, so what's been the best blessings of this month? If I've got to think really hard, wow, maybe I need to be, become a little, a little more practiced with becoming aware of what's happening. Or if somebody asks you, how are you feeling? You say, hmm, let me think. The same kind of thing. So am I really aware? Now, everything I'm going to say here in these, this dynamic, you can relate this to every one of your relationships, your friendships, family. They, they, it all works the same as in prayer. So let's go to relate. And that means really relating it. So the disciples on the road, they say to Jesus, we had hoped he was the one. So they tell him they're about their sadness, their confusion, their disappointment, their fear, probably, because they're heading out of town. Um, so they're really relating it. So let me give you an, an example of this. Now this was, uh, I don't know if Father uses this technique, but you know, sometimes when priests say, um, a priest friend of mine, sometimes those examples are us. <laughs> we use that as a cover. So I heard, now this is not me when I'm going to say this, but a priest friend of mine, it's not me, but I think when he was telling us this first, it was him. 
And he said the same thing. A priest friend of mine, but I know this guy. I think it was him. <laughs> so he was talking about going on retreat. And he went on retreat. It was a silent retreat. Then it was the retreat master. He goes in and he goes, he starts out like this. He's talking. Well, you know, I just don't have any motivation lately. And I I don't know. I don't know. I just feel tired. And there's these factions in the parish. Oh man. And I went to a party the other day and I and I found myself flirting with one of the women there. I, I don't do that. And then finally the retreat master said something. I don't think I'd have the guts to say. He said to him, Stop whining. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Stop whining. And he was like, What? He says, You're whining. He says, What do parents do when their kids are whining? What if, you remember what your parents told you when you were whining? I mean, I think, um, I don't know if my parents let us ever get away with whining, but if they, <laughs> they, they probably said something like, uh, I'm not listening until you stop whining. So that's what they got the retreat director said. Well, why would God not be different than that? If our parents, being good parents, would do that with us, wouldn't God do that with us too? He says, you need to stop whining and you need to, what do you really want? What's underneath all this stuff? Go talk to God about that. The guy had the best retreat of his life. So when we're praying, we're aware of our life. Am I really relating it in my prayer? Not just, Lord, help me get the test grade. Oh, Lord, I just don't feel like, I just don't, you know, I just have a hard time coming to Mass, and I wish I didn't have that. But see, that's the whining stuff. What's underneath that? That's what I want to talk about. What am I, what am I really, what's, what's, what's got down there? Is it fear? Is it like I'm doing something I really don't want to do and I really want to do something? Now, what is the thing underneath? That's what you want to talk about. That's what I want to relate. In our relationships, you know, that's what happens in um, marriages and all is that people get to the superficial level and they just stay there. They never talk about what really matters to them. And that marriage is going to go, at least if they stay together, it's going to lose its intimacy because they're not talking about what really counts for them anymore. So that's the relate. Now, receiving. That's what's coming back. And um, in this Emmaus example, it, it was so easy for them because they were walking along. They said, we really hoped. And he said, how, how foolish you are not to believe what the scriptures have written, the prophets have said. I mean, they got him right there. And he, he's talking right to them. So they're, they're receiving. And he's explaining everything to them. And, and they're like, wow, I never, I never saw it that way. So when we receive back, here's an illustration for that one. This woman was with at a party. She's talking to a priest. She hasn't gone to church in a long time. And um, she says, she tells him that. Because when we're at, you know, we're at outings like that, or I'm even at, um, you know, go to Wendy's or something. And people, when you're wearing a collar, they just come up and they start talking to you, right? And you don't know where it's going to come from. And, um, and, th and she said, you know, something happened earlier in her life and she was really angry. She was angry at God. And he said to her, have you ever told him about how you're angry? She hadn't. He says, you know, sometimes go into church and tell him that. He's asking her to relate. Because she's aware. Why asking her to relate? So she go, So about a month later, she sees him. And she says, I did what you said. I went in church. Nobody was there. So I, I, I said it out loud. I really let God have it. And uh, he said, well, what happened? See, he's listening for the receiving. And she said, nothing. 
You ever had people say to you that they pray and nothing comes back? Now, being a good spiritual director, and this has probably happened to both of us, we say, when we say that to our spiritual director, the spiritual director will say this, or maybe sister too. They'll say, well, tell me about the nothing. <laughs> you ever get that? It's like, what? Tell me about the, no- tell me about the nothing. So you know what she said after he, after he said that? She said, well, I knew he was there. I knew he was listening. Well, that's not nothing. After not talking to God for years, and you go in the first time and you spill it all out, and she could feel that God was there and that God was listening, that is not nothing. Now, he would send her back and say, keep talking. And the, and the dialogue continues. But that, when you think about receiving, I tell the seminarians, I used to work in a seminary for like 14 years, you got to listen widely. You know, we, we, what we want is this. We want pipeline spirituality. So you open the cork on the pipe. Hey, God. Hey, Mike. <laughs> you know, we, we want it to come right back down the pipe, you know. But, you know, God doesn't, most of the time, God doesn't work that way. Because, you know what, if, if God did, it would be so easy for us to, in our mind, to think we're controlling God. And God knows that's not good for us. Because every time I open the pipe up and God's just on the other side and talks right, tells me the answer right away, Jesus never worked that way. He would, he would, they'd ask a question and he'd give them a story back. And they're like, what is he talking about? Because he wanted them to go home and think about it. So it doesn't come right back. It comes like in different places. And you know, you make a prayer, and it comes back another another day, or or somebody says something, or there's a song, line in the ray, song. So let me. My illustration here is my um, her grandfather and my dad passed away last May, and he he had the beginnings of dementia, and he fell over the um, toilet bowl, broke three ribs, and he was in agony. And he just kind of went down. He died like two and a half weeks later. He was 80, just about to be 86. Well, as he was going down, they were trying to do all kinds of things to save his life. And so I was like, I was like, then they started talking about hospice. And, And I was like, wow, hospice? And I started to wor- really worry that we were giving up on him too soon. My, now my mother, his wife, she knew clearly, and she wasn't one to make quick decisions. She knew immediately, no, he doesn't want to live like this. And I, and, I, and I went with that moral certitude that was in her voice. But after he died, I realized that I was holding on to that guilt. I was still thinking I let him down. You know, I'm the firstborn. And he would tell me from the bed, Michael, help me get up, help me get up. And I knew I couldn't get him up. It was going to feel worse if he got up. So I felt I couldn't help him. And I could see he was disappointed on his face. And, and then I worried that I was, that, we, let, that we, we didn't try hard enough. So one night I decided I'd never prayed about this. See, I didn't relate it. So I, one night I told him, I talked to God, I was talking to my dad. I said, Dad, I hope we did the right thing. Hope it's what you wanted. Hope it was the right thing. And nothing came back. I wanted it. I wanted that pipeline that night. The next day I'm at Mass, right before Mass starts, and I get a ding, you know, a text. And I look at it, 
It's from a priest friend of mine who never does this. It says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then it's signed God. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I know that it was, was his answer. See what I mean? It doesn't come right where you always think it will. Just keep your ears open and somehow, he, if you're really relating what you really care about, he's going to answer that some way. Okay, so the last R is uh, respond. I find a lot of people, they, they, when the respond comes, they, ca they catch it right away, but they may not want to do it. So here's my last illustration. Guys, you know, there's a form of prayer where you imagine the gospel like a movie. Don't have to worry about getting everything historically correct. People get caught up in that stuff. It doesn't matter what you, what you think about the chairs looking like. So he was um, thinking about the Last Supper and Jesus washing their feet. So he's imagining Jesus bending down and washing the feet of his disciples. And he's just going along in the prayer. See, St. Ignatius was one who talked about this a lot. He said, it isn't like everything you're thinking about is coming from God. But somehow, somewhere, the Holy Spirit comes in there somewhere. And you usually can tell because it's either like it makes you really happy or it really bothers you. The Holy Spirit's in one of those. If it's really bothering me, it's something he wants to like unravel and get to the bottom of. So he's going along, and he comes to, he's in the chair. And he's like, oh my gosh, and Jesus is washing his feet. He said, he's talking about what that felt like to have Jesus, his Savior, wash his feet. Then Jesus gives him the towel and the bowl, and he says, you do the next person. And he goes to the next person, and it's the person he's not talking to. And the meditation ends immediately. He said to the spiritual director, I can't do that. See, the response showed up, but he can't do it. So if you're a spiritual director, you know what you do there? You say, well, what can you do? The guy might say, well, I could say a prayer for him. Okay, that's your response for right now. And the dialogue continues. So every one of these things, now what happens to people um, in their relationships, a lot of times they may relate, and then they don't stop to really listen to the other person. They just keep going arguing about their side of the story. If I'm really gonna have healthy relationships, I gotta relate. And it's best if you're going to relate stuff, stuff that's tough to do it when you're calm and don't use the word you. You always sounds like an accusation. So you change the wording around. You know, when that happens, I get really upset. Well, they did it, but you don't have to say you. You just say, when that happens. But when I finish saying it, do I really listen back? We don't, we don't always do that. And then the relationship gets stuck. So the way I use this ARRR, when I'm stuck in prayer or in my relationships, I look and find out where I'm stuck. If I feel like there, like it's got no energy to it, I'm, I'm going right to the A and say, am I really aware of what's going on? Am I really relating what's going on in my life? Or am I, I haven't done that? I'm just going, here's my life. Here I come to Mass and I do evening prayer and I, I do my prayers. And if I'm... If I'm, that's where I'm stuck. I'm not really relating what's really on my heart. Here's the way some people pray. They, um, they relate fine, and they go like this. They just throw it and say, okay, fix it. You know, and, I'll, and when you get it fixed, let me know. But, you know, God doesn't work that way. <laughs> he does not work. He said, no, we've got to do this together. So um, i got to really receive. i gotta, I got to be open to that what I'm going to receive back. And then obviously when the response comes, there's time to pray for courage or, 
or healing, whatever it is that God's asking me at that time, I, he's calling me to do. So this is uh, really the things I wanted to share with you tonight. I know you have something else you're planning to do, but I want to leave this question with you for later. Recall one major event in your life when God was really present to you, because I'm convinced that when, the, when, you were re, when he was really present to you, this whole dynamic was happening. The whole thing was there. You were aware, you related. You received back from God and you made a response. It's almost always there. If you think about the major things that happen in your life when God was really, there could have been a very happy moment, could have been, a, sometimes it's the most difficult moments when we feel closest to God. So thanks very much. It's like I mentioned at the beginning, it's a, really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.